Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Starting Small Music Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McCormick, and today we have a very special guest with us. We have the bassist for Jameson Rogers, Jimi Hendrix. You're going to hear Jimmy's story of growing up the son of two songwriters and drumming for the family band on the road touring at age five. You'll also hear the story of how he met Van Halen in the studio as a kid, how he joined the band Reality Check, and what it's like playing bass for Jameson Rogers. I had a great time talking to Jimmy. I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and we'll see you at the end. Just keep a smile on your face and it'll be okay. Try not to be bitter. You gotta do it either way. Keep a smile on your face and it'll be okay. So when life throws a jab, you gotta duck out of the way. How you doing today, Jimmy? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. So getting right into your story, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? So I had a, a very musical childhood. Uh, both of my parents were songwriters um, in the 60s and 70s, way, way back. Right. And uh, they, they kind of had music careers, uh, like I said, in, in what we called secular music back in the day. And then they found the Lord. And I was born. Um, they had two sons from uh, previous marriages. Uh, they found God. I was born. And we started the Hendrix Family Praise Band. Oh, really? And basically, my whole life, we toured around uh, either in a bus or a motorhome. And our family job was just going from church to church all across the United States and playing Christian music, all like, you know, some original stuff and then some praise and worship stuff. Um, which you may not understand that if you're not in in the Christian world at all, but that's kind of where I came up. And so I did, you know, I was touring on the road doing nothing as a baby. And then when I was five, I started playing drums with the family band. So I did that. Um, basically, let's see, I, we, I was like 15 years old, I guess, is when my, we we're out on tour. My mother, who is the lead singer of the band, um, had some stomach pains, which was, you know, kind of weird. And so we canceled a few shows we had, went home um, and not to get too sad too fast, but we found out she had cancer wow. and three months later she died. Oh. And so at that point, the family band kind of went, obviously fell apart. There was a lot of emotions running around, uh, especially being a, you know, Christian band. And when she got sick, you know, there was a lot of prayer. Everyone thought she was going to, going to heal and she didn't. So that was definitely a, a huge turning point in my life because I didn't know, you know, even though I was a young kid um, and gosh, I'm sorry, I was 12 when that happened, not 15. <laughs> I was very young. It was like six years into playing with the family band. So at that point in my life, uh, the touring stopped. I went into normal school and I just, you know, kind of lived a normal life at that point. From then on, my senior year of high school, I moved down to Florida, Orlando, Florida, which is, I was 16. I was really young in school. So I graduated down in Florida. I moved down there to play in with this Christian band uh, that was playing in Orlando. Mm -hmm. And they were doing this kind of uh, more modernized music. And so I did that for a few years. That, that went really well. And then I was playing uh, for the big church in town. It was like Orlando, First Baptist Orlando is what it was called. And, you know, they had 10,000 uh, members to this church and it had a 5,000 seat auditorium. They did two services every Sunday, Sunday night. It was a, a big church mm -hmm. and uh, 
they would bring concerts in to the auditorium, Christian concerts. And my favorite band at the time, all I listened to was Christian music. I didn't even know who Jimmy, like Jimi Hendrix was <laughs> because I just, I had never, you know, so when people would be like, did your parents name you after Jimmy? I'm like, well, my dad's Jim. I'm Jimmy. I didn't get it. Right. Obviously I get it now. But um, so my favorite Christian group at the time was this group called Reality Check. And they were kind of like a funk rock rap singing, you know, this is late 90s. So mm. it was kind of the, the in thing. Everyone was wearing polyester and stuff trying to bring back the 70s. Yeah. And uh, they brought that band to our town in Orlando. And our youth pastor, who I knew, kind of knew one of the guys in the band. Long story short, their bass player was leaving the band. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hey, I'm, I love this group. I wonder if there's any way they could you know, hear me play bass. So long story short, we set it up to where me and the main church drummer would be jamming when Reality Check arrived on their tour bus. Oh, cool. So they arrive. They hear me playing. And it this part's kind of like a movie almost. They came up to me. They're like, Hey man, your bass playing is really good. You want to try out? You know, it wasn't like that, but you know, that's how it felt. Yeah. Those weren't uh -huh. the words. And I was like, yeah, of course. You know? And so I came back for their sound check that evening. I'm nervous. Uh, at the time I weighed about 265 pounds, very overweight kid kind of went into a, a little bit of overeating after my mom passed. And obviously I've I've gotten over that now and was able to lose the weight. But at the time, I was just this awkward 19-year-old kid who my favorite band in the world was about to listen to me play bass at their sound check. So I was very nervous. Yeah. And uh, But, you know, I knew some of their songs because I'd listened to it. So like I said, I'm long-winded. Anyways, long story short, Nathan Barlow, who I know you've uh, interviewed on here, was the lead singer of Reality Check. Right. Yeah. And that was his, his first, like, you know, record deal or whatever out of college. And so I ended up, that's when I first met Nate and uh, yeah, we toured for, for, I guess only about a year and a half. And then he broke off and did Luna Halo, which I, I played with them for a while in that. And then went over to, I basically bounced around a lot of different Christian bands um, for, for quite a while. And they kind of had a, a point where I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm burnt out. I need to take some time off. I've been doing music my whole life. Mm -hmm. So I, I took a seven year hiatus from touring, from playing, from doing anything. And I actually worked for Apple, got really geeky, nerdy into Apple computers and was like, right. like making cases for them in China and doing all sorts. I, I worked for a, a local uh, Apple reseller in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And so they had a little more leeway in what I could do. It wasn't like corporate Apple, even though we you know sold all the Apple stuff. They were called Apple specialists. Mm -hmm. So I worked there for seven years, um, you know, my only Apple experience was I used Pro Tools in the mm -hmm. studio. So I kind of knew how to like start them and, and do a little bit of stuff, but learned that pretty fast, ended up moving up through the company and then got super burnt out on that. And so I was like, you know what? I really feel like I've got to do, got to do music again. I was starting to get panic attacks and on medication because I was, the Apple job was very stressful, a lot of hours. Right. Um, but I was kind of like, that's all I, my life was just that I maybe had a day off every week. And I just started, I get, got to the point where I couldn't do it anymore, but seven years removed from music, you don't know any of the same people really. I mean, you do know, uh, I, I knew some of the same guys like Nate, obviously, um, who's playing with Keith Urban now, which I'm sure, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, we kind of kept in contact over the years, but, you know, I hadn't really been involved in anything. So, I found a guy, 
um, the, the girl I was dating at the time had a best friend who had a, a husband actually that was trying to start a band. Mm-hmm. And so we got together, we talked, he was this really cool country dude. And was like, man, I want to, I want to do some country music. And I was like, I'm interested in that too. And so we just started this little duo and basically we're doing uh, just cover tunes. And we started playing at little bars around, around Nashville. And jeez, uh, I'm trying to remember the actual order of all this. So after that happened, um, there's a, a guy named Chris Hitchcock, who is a uh, singer songwriter who basically did cover shows. We, we were doing four hour tin roof sets and played all the tin roofs across the Southeast and just toured in a sprinter van with no trailer through all our crap in the back <laughs> and just played four hour sets at, like I said, and it wasn't just tin roofs. There was, you know, world of beer. There were a lot of different venues that we played around, but tin roof was kind of like the primary one. Yeah. And I did that for about uh, a year and a half. And then uh, my brother, who's a sound man was running sound for a group, um, there have you heard of everett they're another country band yeah, that's yeah. out right now they're kind of new mm-hmm. uh but b- before they were everett uh, brent rupert one of the singers was kind of doing a, an artist thing and so my brother was running sound for them uh they brought me in and i started singing and playing mandolin actually with them because that's one of my bases my primary thing but my dad was a mandolin player so i kind of grew up messing around noodling on it yeah. uh, enough to play you know we did like a three-piece uh harmony it was acoustic guitar, mandolin, and a dobro. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of like they still still do now with their music, but it was just just a three-piece. And we went around and um, what, uh, we did a tour with uh, Lone Star, I think it was. You know, oh, and this yeah. is like a few years back. So they were kind of, you know, further along in their career, but it was still for us. It was like, heck yeah, Lone Star, this is awesome. Totally. And, you know, kind of went out and did that. That was a lot of fun. At the time, Anthony, who is the g- guitar guy from Everett, was playing in a lot of bands like we do in Nashville because you just kind of have to, uh, when people are up and coming, there's not really enough shows to justify just playing with one person. So you take what you can get to try and keep the bills paid. Right. Um, so, so Anthony was playing with a bunch of people besides Brent. One of those people was Jamison Rogers. And this is about six years ago now, because I know my time, time frames all over the place. Cause I'm probably twice most of the people's age to listen to this, but um, <laughs> anyways, so, uh, so yeah, Anthony was playing with Jameson and uh, Mark DeJanes and Luke DeJanes, who are currently the uh, the drummer and bass player for, uh, is Walker Hayes the Applebee's? Yeah, Walker Hayes. Yeah, so they're playing with him now. At the time, they were Jameson's bass player and drummer. Oh, okay. Well, and Mark, who was the drummer, was playing a gig. And long, long story short, I keep saying that, <laughs> um, Anthony said, hey, can you come sub in with Jameson? Mm-hmm. And this is before Jameson had a record deal or had anything going on. He was literally just coming, you know, he'd been in Nashville for maybe four years. And so I played a few shows with him and then that was it. And he kind of went on through his, his career doing stuff. I think I subbed in one more time and, you know, I'm, I was playing with so many people, uh, his wife, Sarah Allison Turner is another artist, uh, Jameson's wife in Nashville, singer songwriter. I was playing with her, was playing with Brent Rupert from Everett and just pretty much whatever gigs I could get. And then I guess four years ago now, um, Jameson was like, Hey man, you know, Mark's going to do another gig. Would you be interested in, in going full time? And so I was like, heck yeah, man. Cause I really, I've always been a, a, a real big fan of Jameson's personality and attitude. 
um, as far as being an artist. Because a lot of times, you know, being a player and not part of a band, um, it's your job to play the music, but also kind of maybe take a little more than your average amount of crap from the artist that's paying you, right? Because they're your boss, just like you would any boss. Yeah. And different artists can can have personalities all over the place. But Jameson's the most down-to-earth person that I've ever met that is also an artist, you mm-hmm. know? Um, he's just, he's from Mississippi. He's really cool. Uh, as far as how everything's run, you know, all, all the guys in the band are married, so we don't have any kind of crazy, you know, backstage parties or anything. I mean, we still have fun. Uh, <laughs> there's just not any random people there that we don't know. Right. Um, but so, it, and, you know, and being married myself, having two kids, it was, it just seemed like a good fit. And this is, like I said, before the record deal happened. And then, you know, all the, the Luke Combs stuff happened. We went on tour with him. Um, we were doing radio tour, flying all over the country to different places and, uh, you know, different radio stations. And then, you know, Cold Beer Calling My you know, Some Girls came out. That went number one. Cold Beer Calling My Name came out. That went number one. And so it was just kind of like, and mind you, most of that happened during the pandemic. So mm-hmm. we didn't really get to play like a show where pe- where Some Girls was a number one song till like a year after it was number one basically just because right. of the pandemic and we weren't having shows the time we just kind of worked out that way. Right. Um, so, yeah. So then, and since then after the Luke Combs stuff, we've just been uh, just been kind of touring around doing, did some stuff. We did Luke Bryan's farm tour at the end of last year, which is a lot of fun and uh, did some shows with uh, Darius Rucker and then a lot of just head, you know, headlining shows or whatever um, at different clubs and venues. And uh yeah, like like I told you earlier, we're really excited to be going on the Hardy tour coming up this spring. Totally. Um, you know, Jame- Jameson and Hardy are old friends, and uh, I've actually I've known Hardy for a long time too. My best friend is Hardy's cousin and his publisher, and so you know I saw him hanging out with with Jesse, who's my buddy back in the day before you know anybody knew who he was, and um, you know you could always see that he was talented, but I didn't I didn't really hang out with him that much. And then he starts writing songs and. I start going, man, you know, for someone who didn't come up in country music, I came up, you know, in the Christian thing. And then I kind of went into like funk and jazz and was into like playing as many notes as I could on the bass, you know, that, that I could get away with. So I kind of became a, a busy, a busy player. And then, you know, it was definitely adjustment getting into country music and, you know, being able to, uh, I mean, country's got a lot of fun bass, but some of the older country stuff, especially just has very basic bass. And right. so for, I had to learn to enjoy the beauty and whole notes and filling out a part and being part of a group instead of it being the, Hey, it's Jimmy show, you know, cause that's kind of how I was when I was younger. So I think, um, so yeah, so for me coming, I kind of lost my train there, but for me coming up in the funk and different styles, when I heard Hardy stuff, which was country, which wasn't my favorite at the time, I started, man, he was, he was using different, Uh, as you know like that syncopated rhythm that he does when he sings in his songs then anytime you hear a song on the radio you're like oh yeah hardy wrote that right and if not someone's copying hardy (laughs) you know because that's that's his thing you can hear when he did it and so i was always like i really i really like that and then you know obviously he's had an amazing career and he's a great dude too that's actually down to earth and country and i think people see that and that's why they like it you know it's it's not like he's some dude from california uh, that's that didn't grow up now. Mind you, there's a ton of people in California love country music. I mean, some of the biggest shows we play are you know away from the coast. There's a ton of 
farmland and a ton of people that are that are country but it's you know he's not a a city boy that's grabbed an accent and you know trying to trying to be country or whatever that has a good voice so it's nice to see actual country dudes writing about country stuff that they actually did no for sure (laughs) so kind of going back to your childhood a little bit having two parents are songwriters artists do you have uh, have any memories of kind of being around any other big songwriters or artists that were kind of maybe coming around the house to work with your parents at a young age? I I have a <laughs> yeah this is this is not uh, so much a uh, an instance where they were riding with this the the famous person but we were doing a uh, Phil Driscoll as this as a trumpet player he was really big in the Christian world he kind of like. He sang almost, he had like a very, a very gravelly voice and would play trumpet. It was like this thing in Christian music. We were doing a uh, a record with him out in Los Angeles. So we're out in LA and I think I'm probably seven or eight years old, you know, just started playing drums with the band. I was not playing on the recording. They had the big LA session guys, you know, to play on the recording. So I was hanging out in just like the waiting area that had a little Pac-Man video game and you know food just kind of like the lounge yeah and so i'm sitting in there and i remember with these two guys both had you know long hair and they're just sitting watching tv and i walk up to him and i you know super christian kid it's all i knew mm-hmm. and i walk up to this guy and i go do you believe in jesus <laughs> and then the guy's like well i'm i'm not sure son and i was like but do you believe adam and eve and he was like ah, man you know I, I just don't know and i started like witnessing to these two dudes telling them about Jesus. And uh, I remember my dad coming in going, Jimmy, Jimmy, no, 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 no. And going, I'm sorry, guys. I'm really sorry. And like pulling me out. I didn't find out until years later, it was Eddie Van Halen and Sammy Hagar that I was witnessing to. No way. Uh, Yeah. In the studio lounge. So that's probably the biggest, uh, you know, can't really top that story with anything else. And, uh, you know, my, my, I don't know if you are you familiar with the mamas and the papas at all? Oh, yeah, they're, yeah, they're sure. old school. Mm-hmm. All right, well, my dad's uh, you know, first music foray was a group called the Big Three, and mm-hmm. it was him, Danny Doherty, and Mama Cass, uh, from the Mamas and Papas. Cool. And so they did the same kind of thing the Mamas and Papas did, they were a folk singing group. And I, long story short, I, I think it was to I'm not sure. For some reason, my dad and Mama Cass had to get married. I think it had something to do with draft. The record label wanted him to do it. And so my dad's first wife was Mama Cass of the Mamas and Papas. And there's, you know, all sorts of stuff on the Internet about them. So his ties there. And then, you know, <laughs> one of one of their, their biggest things that he did with Cass before she went on to the Mamas and Papas was they uh, – and he, he was always so proud to tell people that they were opening up on tour for Bill Cosby. And so lately, that's a story that you don't really want to tell. Right. <laughs> because of the stuff that's come out. So yeah. I, I was just thinking how ironic it is. That was a, a great story to tell a few years ago. And now, you know, that never happened. I didn't go on tour with, with Bill Cosby. What are you talking about? Just kidding. But um, <laughs> that's funny. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I can't really think of any other. Uh, yeah, my mom wrote with Sonny and Cher. Uh, mm-hmm. But that was before I was born. So I wasn't really around around with that. And, uh, you know, as far as in the Christian world, pretty much everybody, you know, that was big back, you know, we we were out with the Gaithers. I think one of my first like big arena sh- shows was I was six years old and I was playing an electronic drum set. It was uh, us, Take Six, Sandy Patty and the Gaithers. 
And they were like, you know, all the big Christian groups at the time it was the Hoosier Dome in Indiana packed out. And uh, for some reason, that's just one show that kind of sticks out in my head just because it was like, I remember playing the electronic drum set was very odd compared to a real drum set. And right. being a child that hadn't been playing that long, having everything all of a sudden feel different and having all these people staring at the kid that's playing the drums, it was it was, it was a lot of stress and pressure. But I just remember meeting those people. And back then, like Bill Gaither, Sandy Patty and Take Six, which were, were kind of like, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they were kind of like Christian boys to men. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's basically what they did. But uh, but yeah, I think that's probably the the most like, uh, famous people scenarios that I can think of right now. Very cool. Now moving on to we mentioned uh, Nathan Barlow, super uh, awesome guy, very very talented. What's it like working with a young Nathan Barlow uh, when you first joined that band? Um, it was honestly very intimidating. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I was kind of overweight young kid, and these were all like graduated from college, in shape, had the cool hair, cool clothes, everything was already kind of in place. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he was, he was never like, he was very nice to me, you know, I mean, to this day, I, you know, he and I are very good friends. So uh, it wasn't anything that he did. It was just being the youngest, newest, never done this before. It was very intimidating at, at first, but, you know, I would say young Nate Barlow is the same as old Nate Barlow, just with a few less gray hairs, just like me. (laughs) Um, but yeah, and it, it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, he's always had an amazing voice, been super talented. He was really into Radiohead back then. And yeah. so I think because of him, I got super into Radiohead and kind of went down that path. And I'm I'm very glad I did is that you know, to this day, some of those older records, you know, hold a big place in my heart, probably because I was I was young. You know, everybody thinks their music's the best of their generation. Yeah. And you know, I come to find out now that I have two little kids that it's just it's all about what what touches you first mm-hmm. you know what 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 you connect with on a level even if it's just the level because your parents hate it or if it's because the music actually moves moves you in an emotional way i think that's what makes music your favorite music so i think thanks to nate and that whole experience you know uh, he was the lead singer there were four guys that all kind of sang but you know they definitely gave me a shot you know, the first people to ever give me a per- first person to give me a shot was Nathan as far as on a professional level. So that's something I, you know, could never thank him enough for. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was really, it was cool. I mean, I, I didn't, uh, you know, like the first couple of shows we were out with DC talk and you know, the, the guys from DC talk come on the bus and I'm like, what the crap? I mean, you got to understand when you're Christian music. Yeah. Those guys are freaking, you know, and this is like at the prime of their, you know, we're doing creation fest with, uh, you know, newsboys and, uh, who else was like audio adrenaline newsboys. And then DC talk were headlining. And we were before, uh, audio adrenaline. It was like some, some big festival. And I just remember like, Holy crap. I was literally playing, you know, in front of a big crowd in the church, but mostly like, you know, I'm playing in a church, I'm playing in a youth group room. And now I'm on stage in front of all these people playing with the dudes that I was literally, idolizing like months prior right. so it was it was it was a uh you know a crazy experience i think uh you know if if i went back there now it would be a completely different experience just because i've been through so much stuff i probably would have reacted differently to everything right. but 
you know, those that's that's how you kind of when you learn like how to act as a musician, um, you know, because you do run across a lot of famous people. I mean, in country music, I've I've definitely shook hands with met or been around pretty much everyone you could name just mm -hmm. because of touring and doing festivals and doing all that stuff. Right. And but at this point, I've you know done so many music things. There's not like a person out there um, in the in the current country world. Now, however, if Gwen Stefani were to pop out and surprise me, that means when she came out, I was like living in Orlando, Florida, which they were from. I was mm -hmm. 16 years old. She was hot. She was an amazing singer. She was <laughs> doing all this crazy stuff <laughs> with her voice. No one had ever done before. Mm -hmm. So I would still I think I would be starstruck by her just because of when. You know, I, I, that's like one of my old, old groups and like the Radiohead guys, I'd probably be starstruck by them, mm -hmm. but being around it for so long, it's just like you meet people now and they're just a person, you know, they're in, and most, most, all of them are cool people. That's, that's the great thing. Cause I feel like there are a few artists maybe that aren't, aren't the greatest people, but I feel like it's only the people that actually are good to the folks around them that make it. You know, like there's very few, you know, there may be a couple like diva people out there that get an attitude that, you know, but for the most part, it's just, you know, down to earth people. And uh, yeah, just getting to meet them and talk to them and hang out with them is definitely uh, a fun thing. Sure. Now, did Nathan and the other guys in Reality Check, did you ever tell them that you had kind of set up your audition for when they were walking in the sound check or do they still not know? I am sure that that came up at some point um, because like I said, uh, his name was Kyle wall. He was the, the youth pastor for that big church. And mm -hmm. he, he knew the guys like kind of well, cause when they were, when they were first coming up, I think they came and played for that, the church. And he, he really liked them and was, you know, but he also really liked me. And he was like, man, I see something in you. You're super talented. I want to hook you up with these guys. So I think it was kind of like you be in their plan. I'm going to mention you to them beforehand and it will kind of make it a coincidental. So like they knew I was in that town. <laughs> they knew I played at that church. Um, so it might have been like in their head, huh, this might work out. But them walking in while I was playing was definitely kind of a, a setup thing on on my part. And I'm sure I told them because we we got so close because, you know, we went from touring around in a, in a bus with Reality Check to touring around in a van with Luna Halo because mm -hmm. it was kind of like, you know, they already had reality check had a single and it was doing well and had the record label backing and all that. Mm -hmm. And so for him to kind of leave that and do something else because of contractual obligations, he had to get out of that deal right. and do a whole separate deal, you know, for Luna halo. Mm -hmm. And it was like starting over basically. Yeah. But I think, you know, he, he stylistically wanted to be in a completely different area than the rest of those people. And, um, you know, this isn't something that he said, but I would think from a business, you know, music business standpoint, if you can reduce the amount of owners in a project where you're doing most of the writing and most of the work, uh, it, it makes sense, you know, because there were there were four guys on that record deal. And I, you know, I don't know how much they all contributed to things, but I mean, I feel like some of them were there just for the look of the group because it was like DC Talk was three dudes and these this was like, you know, one black dude and two white, you know, it was basically kind of like, a, you know, in the shoes of DC talk. I even think they all went to Liberty university like DC talk. Oh, so wow. it was kind of, you know, it was kind of almost imaged in that. And uh, and quite honestly, I feel like Nate wanted to go somewhere else musically, which obviously he did with Luna halo gotten to, you know, doing more rock stuff and not, 
the kind of hip hop funk, you know, it was, it had a lot of that kind of old school hip hop rap where everything's like, yeah, but you know, that kind of same meter or whatever. So I think he just wanted to get away from that. And he was willing to leave the deal and leave all that stuff, you know, to follow what his heart was telling him to do. So, you know, it was, it was an interesting thing to watch him make that decision. And then, you know, he's had a very, very interesting, you know, musical career since then and is, you know, doing great things now. Um, but yeah. Cool. And now you touched on uh, Jameson Rogers just being a great boss, great guy to work with. Do you have a favorite song in the set that comes up every night that you're just hyped to play? Oh, my favorite song in the set that I'm hyped to play. Wow. And it, it's good because I actually just went over. Um, so one of my primary things I do with Jameson is, is singing all the high harmonies. Okay. Um, so, um, and that's why, like when we do radio shows, you usually don't send the bass player on a radio thing, but I just play acoustic guitar. And then, you know, we sing the three part harmonies, me and the guitar player and Jameson. Mm -hmm. So I almost feel like I have to look at it. Like, uh, you know, you know, my kind of living the song he did with Hardy. Oh, right. Um, Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. like off the Hicks tape. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of my favorite ones to play just because I really like the harmonies in it and just the whole feel of the song. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really have any kind of a crazy bass line in it, but like I said before, country music in general doesn't have, uh, you know, a, a lot of crazy bass going on. You know, it just kind of is, it's being what it's supposed to be the bass. It's holding everything up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and not to belittle it because if you're playing a festival and, one of the two guitar players stops playing for a split second and then starts playing again, it's not going to do anything. But if, if all of a sudden the bass stops, you're looking around like what's going on here. So, mm-hmm. you know, you got to keep it in so the simple, I, I don't want to keep harping on simplicity because it's, it's hard and important to be able to play the simple notes consistently and, and not make any kind of mistakes in those there. But for me, it's become more about singing as far as me doing you know, showing creativity, I guess, you know, or, or so it's holding this down while I sing. And I feel like in my kind of living, the, the dissonant harmonies, how they play off each other. Um, uh, and, and it's kind of a slow, cool, airy tune. And I, I think that's probably one of my, my favorite ones to play. We do an Eagles medley um, every night, which is uh, missing. One is one of JMO's songs that, uh, starts out with the line I have every Eagles I had every Eagles record Mm -hmm. and so we do a four Eagles song medley in our live show and then go into uh, missing one so that's that's kind of like an eight minute chunk of music that is always a lot of fun to play too because we get to do all these Eagles tunes which we're all kind of big Eagles fans and have been influenced you know Jameson our guitar player Adam and I all are definitely big fans of the Eagles so that that's probably my other favorite moment of the night. And, uh, you know, playing cold beer and some girls is always a lot of fun because you get the biggest crowd reaction out of that. That's the, you know, everyone knows those songs. And then, you know, maybe a smaller percentage knows all like the, the, the tracks that aren't on the radio or whatever. So those are the most like exhilarating to play just because everyone's singing the lyrics. You can stop at any point in the song and the crowd singing along with you. Um, you know, and sometimes with newer songs, especially if you're a newer artist, if someone in the crowd doesn't know, they'll just kind of look off or look at their phone or, you know, see what they're doing. And, uh, you know, being up there, you notice that kind of stuff because you're just kind of 
you know, just looking over the crowd. And uh, that's one of the, the hardest things for me is if people start to fight in the crowd, well, you know, it doesn't happen that often, but it's happened quite a few times in my life. Yeah. It takes me completely out of the show. Really? And I'm like, I can't stop. I can't, for some reason I cannot stop watching that. So <laughs> that's, that's the only thing that can, can still distract me from stage at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I would obviously the hits, and then uh, the My Kind of Living Tune and the Eagles medley. That's probably my my highlights from like when we do a 90-minute set or whatever. Yeah. So to close out my interviews, I like to ask all my guests, what's a piece of advice you would give to an aspiring musician that wants to be in your spot in the next couple of years? Do it for the love of music, not for the fame, not for the money. Um, not because those don't exist, but those things will never keep you happy. It's only the love of actual music itself that's going to keep you coming back. And you're not going to care about how much the pay is, how much, you know, do I have to ride in a van? Am I on a bus? Are we flying a, fly, a private jet? Are we on Southwest? None of that stuff really matters uh, if you love music and, and you love what you're doing. So never lose sight of that. It's something that I've done a few times in my career where I, I picked gigs up just for money. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you got to love the people you're working with and you got to love what you're doing. So that's my biggest piece of advice is just never lose sight uh, of why you're doing it. It's because of music and not because of all the other crap that comes with music. Well, guys, there you have it. My conversation with Jimi Hendrix. Jimmy, thank you again so much for coming on the show. I had a great time talking with you. Everyone go follow him on Instagram at Jimi Hendrix Bass. And also, I want to give a big thank you as today marks one year of Starting Small Music, episode 52. Getting to hear the stories of so many people I look up to this past year has been so amazing. So I just want to give a big thank you to all my past guests and the listeners out there. I can't wait for the next 52 episodes. And make sure to come back next week to hear my conversation with Josh McAfee, bassist for Dylan Schneider. Check out Starting Small Music on YouTube to see all the video content from our interviews. And also, follow Starting Small Music on Instagram, at Starting Small Music. And let us know who you'd like to hear on the podcast next. And remember, everyone starts small.